Thank you for tuning into The World Game, a World Cup podcast. The podcast that will have everything you need to know about the World Cup. There will be recap episodes throughout the tournament, so you won't miss a storyline. Maybe there was a 90th minute game winning goal. Maybe there was some controversy. Either way, we'll dive right into it. My name is Peter Roman. I've loved football all my life, and thanks for joining me on this journey. Before we get going with the episode, I just want to talk about the elephant in the room. That being the migrant worker situation. So, when Qatar was awarded the World Cup, they didn't exactly have the infrastructure or the population to actually host the World Cup. So they brought in migrant workers from other countries. The problem is that these migrant workers, they ended up being horribly mistreated. And a lot of them had their passports taken away, so they couldn't leave the country. Many of them were given little to no pay. And the worst part, a lot of them died. Now, the actual death number is disputed depending on who you look at. The Qataris will tell you that about like 30 people died on World Cup projects, which is a complete load of crap. And, you know, you can't. Like, that's absolute propaganda. There's no way that's true. The Guardian claims about 6,500, but again, you know, Amnesty International has their own number and stuff like that too. So the point being, there's, I think, reason to assume that thousands of people have died in building the infrastructure required for the World Cup. Which is horrifying, because obviously the Qataris condone it, but also horrifying, FIFA condone it. FIFA didn't have a problem with slaves building the stadiums for their tournament. And that part to me is horrifying. So, before we begin the episode, I just want to say that my thoughts and my heart goes out to the migrant workers, their families, their friends, and, you know, sadly, we can't do anything to bring them back. And, you know, these funds that, you know, teams are trying to push for now are great, but the damage has kind of already been done here. And so... Rest in peace to the thousands dead and an absolute embarrassment on how awful FIFA is. Now on to the episode. Alright, let's get going with the preview episode. So, we're going to go through all the groups and talk about what I think is important and things to keep an eye on for this tournament. So, starting in Group A, we have Qatar. Ecuador, Senegal, and the Netherlands. The Netherlands come in, I would assume, as the favorites for most people in this group. Their defense is really good. They got, you know, guys like Virgil van Dijk and De Ligt at the back, guys like Frankie de Jong in midfield. The concern with the Dutch seems to be their ability to score goals. Memphis Depay is a player that I like, but I just don't know if he's a guy you can rely on consistently throughout a tournament like this. But you never know. There's always unsung heroes. And for the Netherlands, it could absolutely be a goal scorer for them in this tournament. For Senegal, unfortunately, they're coming in without their best player. Sadio Mane got injured before the World Cup with Bayern Munich. 
Which, side note, by the way, the World Cup getting moved to the winter. Horrible idea. So, sucks for Senegal. Their team is still pretty good. They still got some good players from the team that won the Africa Cup of Nations. But it's going to be a lot harder without Sadio Mane. He's their all-time leading goal scorer. And so, you know, Senegal, I think, will fancy themselves to get out of the group. But it won't be easy. Next up is Ecuador. Ecuador, I think they surprised a lot of people by getting out of South American qualifying. Now, South American qualifying this time around was weird, and that's because we had Argentina and Brazil finish undefeated, and then a whole bunch of teams squished in the middle, and Ecuador was able to come out in that middle pack. They're also one of the youngest teams in the tournament, so there's a lot of optimism with this Ecuadorian team. The concern for Ecuador is that they have to play Qatar first, and playing the host nation in the opening game rarely goes well for the opposition so that's tough and then of course you know they have to play Senegal who aren't easy and the Netherlands who you know are probably the toughest team in this group so the schedule certainly doesn't favor Ecuador but this is a team that you know in some ways has nothing to lose because they probably haven't hit their peak yet they're probably not even close to their peak so a lot of optimism I think for Ecuador and then finally, Qatar. So Qatar didn't have to do World Cup qualifying because they were the hosts, but they did compete in different tournaments. And so they competed in the Copa America where they lost all three games. However, they did, you know, put up decent showings. They didn't, I think they lost every game by one goal, if I remember correctly. So they were pretty close, pretty competitive in all the games, even if they lost them. In the Gold Cup they competed in, they got out of the group stage and they got knocked out in the quarterfinals. And they won the Asian Cup, which is not nothing. So Qatar has spent like a ton of money in their team. And it's paid off to some extent. Qatar is no longer like a 113th. I think that's what they were in the world or something like that. They were in like the 110s in the world ranking wise. They're not that anymore. They're a lot better than that. They're still probably one of the weakest teams in the tournament. But they have home field advantage, which matters. And... Because all of these other teams are only getting like a week after the club season ends to like actually practice and, you know, get together and stuff like that. I think Qatar has a huge advantage, especially for the first two games of the tournament. We'll see, you know, that probably won't carry over for, you know, later on if they get there. But at least for the first couple of games, they definitely have an advantage over the other teams. So Group A should be fun to watch. Netherlands, like I said, should be the ones progressing. And, you know, the other team from there, I guess we'll find out. But should be exciting nonetheless. Next group, Group B. Group B has England, Iran, the United States, and Wales. So, this group, how it breaks down. England are one of the favorites going into the tournament. Now... I know you're going to say, well, how can England be the favorite if they've lost, you know, a bunch of, they've lost a bunch of consecutive games internationally, but they've done really well in tournaments. England made the semifinals at the 2018 World Cup, and they made the finals of the 2020 Euros. That's not nothing. That is something really significant. I think that's a sign of strength for England. I know their form recently hasn't been good. But they are still the best team in this group, and they should get out of the group. As for the other team that would join England, presumably out of this group, 
I mean, honestly, take your pick. It's a toss-up to me. The United States have a young team. And when you have a youthful team, sometimes they can give you really great performances, especially when they're a talented group like this U.S. one is. The issue becomes consistency isn't always there from a team that's very young, right? Because they just don't, they don't have that big game experience the way that a lot of other nations would have big game experience, especially because they play in CONCACAF, which is probably the worst region out of all of them, right? So, you know, there's, there's a case though for the U.S. Their team is probably the second most talented, but um, that's in no way meant to be disrespectful to Iran or Wales, who I think are both really good as well. Iran, they continue to do really well in Asian qualifying. Their defense continues to be super rock solid, and it looks like they finally got some goal scorers. That was their big issue for the last two World Cups in the 2014 tournament in Brazil and then the 2018 tournament in Russia was that Iran really didn't have go-to players to score goals for them. Not the case this time around. They got options. And so Iran could absolutely get out of this group. They are more than talented enough. It's just a matter of whether or not they can get the results they need. And then finally, Wales. Wales are in their first World Cup in a long time. They haven't been here in a while. Wales, to me, are interesting because on one hand, they're very reliant on a few players. But on the other hand, Sometimes that works out for you. I mean, Wales made the semifinals at the European Championships in 2016, basically on the back of like four guys. So it could happen again. I think the Welsh team compared to 2016 is quite a bit more balanced than they were previously, but they still rely a lot on a guy like Gareth Bale. And so we'll see if that ends up being a good thing or a bad thing, but do not count out Wales. This group, to me, is very wide open. I expect a lot of one goal games so if you're looking for close games this was probably the group to keep an eye on if you're looking for high scoring games i can't promise that in this group unfortunately but you can certainly expect some close games nonetheless next group group c so group c has argentina saudi arabia mexico and poland this group to me feels pretty straightforward Argentina is one of the favorites. Argentina is coming in on the longest unbeaten streak in the world. They're also Copa America champions. It feels pretty wrapped up to me. Argentina, it would be shocking, honestly, if Argentina didn't win this group. And so then that leaves us with the other three teams. Saudi Arabia, to me, is a clear number four. And, the, you know, Saudi Arabia obviously earned their way into the tournament, again, just like they did last time. But... In my opinion, they're one of the weakest teams in this tournament. And I think Mexico and Poland have much better players than Saudi Arabia does. And so I would be shocked if they didn't finish fourth. Which then leaves us with Mexico and Poland. So, one team has by far, like, between the two teams, has by far the best player, Robert Lewandowski for Poland. And the other team, I think, is more balanced. So it's kind of tough. See, Mexico has a lot of big game experience. They're one of the older teams in this tournament. And Mexico, for the last, I think, seven World Cups, they have made it out of the group stage and then gotten eliminated immediately in the knockout stage. So, you know, I guess consistent. Maybe not the version of consistent they were hoping for, but 
consistent nonetheless. For Poland, they have been nothing but a disappointment the last several tournaments. They didn't make it out of the group in the Euros. They also didn't make it out of the group at the World Cup in Russia. In fact, they finished last in that group behind Colombia, Japan, and Senegal. But they have Robert Lewandowski, and if he plays to the level that he's capable of playing, they have a shot. So Mexico and Poland, if I'm honest, whoever wins that game is probably getting out of this group. And so if you're looking for the games to watch in this group, I think that first match day when Mexico plays Poland, that's the one to watch because the winner of that's probably going through. The loser is probably getting knocked out. And if it's a tie, then keep an eye on the goal difference against Saudi Arabia. Next up, Group D. Group D has France, Australia, Denmark, and Tunisia. This group feels like the most straightforward as far as which teams should progress. Now, I need to know, I need to note that France are dealing with a lot of injuries right now. Karim Benzema just got ruled out for the tournament. N'Golo Kante also ruled out for the tournament. Paul Pogba also out. Nkunku also out. Not fun for France, that's for sure. Now, fortunately, France has a really good team, and they have the depth to survive the injuries. The problem is that without those guys, they might not win the group. So it will be fun to see France and Denmark play in the second match day. That will probably be the game that decides first place. Denmark has a real shot, and I think if you're a Danish fan, I think you have to feel pretty optimistic about potentially winning this group. Denmark has a really good team. They have really good players. They're really well balanced. They just made the semifinals of the European Championships. Denmark could absolutely beat out France for first place in this group. France is really injured. They're still a good team, but they're really injured right now. And I have concerns about their coaching. So keep an eye on the second match day because France and Denmark, that could be the decider for first. Now, I would love to talk up Australia and Tunisia, who obviously, again, earned their way to be here. There's no denying that. But unfortunately, I just, I think the golfing quality is quite a lot. It will be an uphill battle for Australia or Tunisia to try and get out of this group. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't make it competitive. It doesn't mean, you know, I'm not saying they're going to get, I'm not saying they're going to get blown out because I don't believe that. I think they'll be competitive but I just can't see them getting enough points in this group to actually get out of it. So we'll see how it goes, right? It's the World Cup. Crazier things have happened. But France and Denmark should be the comfortable favorites in this one. Next up, Group E. Group E, to me, is the group of death. Because you have Spain, you have Costa Rica, Germany, and Japan. The reason I consider this the group of death is because I think it's really hard to predict. Now, I know, you know, someone might just say, oh, well, Spain and Germany are two of the traditional heavyweights. And so, you know, why wouldn't it just be Spain and Germany? The answer is Japan. Japan is good. Don't, don't sleep on Japan. They're a good team. They've proven that, I think, in a lot of their recent results. They are not a team to take lightly at all. Japan is good. I don't know if they're good enough to get out of this group, but don't sleep on Japan. They could absolutely pull off a small surprise. 
and beat out one of Germany or Spain for a spot in the knockout rounds. Costa Rica, I think it's an uphill battle for them. Sadly, I think Costa Rica, this team, it's just, they're one of the older teams in the tournament. And like, obviously they peaked in 2014 when they made the quarterfinals and went on a just an unbelievable run. And that was truly one of the best underdog stories of all time. I can't see it happening this time around. This team is a lot older. They barely made it out of CONCACAF qualifying and then, you know, had to win the Intercontinental Playoff game. I just, I don't think it's Costa Rica's year. So then we have Spain and Germany. So Spain have some really good young talent. And they have some old-timey veterans. It feels like a good mix. It just also feels like Spain's team has been better in the past. Like, this is not anywhere close, at least in my opinion, to the team that won all those tournaments in the earlier part of the last decade. But I also think Spain's a good team. And they proved that at the Euros when they made the semifinals. They have some youngsters that are super, super talented. The biggest question for them is just, can they score enough goals? I just don't know if they have a guy up front that they can rely on consistently. You know, like I said in the Netherlands part of this, there's always unsung heroes at the World Cup, and Spain could absolutely get one who scores a lot of goals. But for right now, I have to be a little bit skeptical on their goal-scoring chances. Doesn't mean they won't get out of the group, but it's just, you know, for winning the whole thing. For Germany, I guess the optimism comes in coaching. Flick is back. And Flick is coming off, obviously, his tremendous run with Bayern Munich. And he was the assistant coach to Yogi Love before he got the... Um, he, he was the assistant coach there for some of the previous tournaments. And so there's a lot of optimism there because clearly the team had run its course previously. And now they're kind of turning over a new leaf. And they have a lot of good players. But they also didn't perform well at the Euros. And this German team hasn't performed well at a big tournament in a while. So I think there's some concern there. But this German team is really good, so don't count them out. Next up, Group F. Group F has Belgium, Morocco, Croatia, and my country, Canada. So first of all, as a Canadian, super happy my team's actually in this thing. I didn't think I'd see the day where the men's team would actually qualify for this, but super happy nonetheless. Canada, you know, I can fully acknowledge they will be in tough in this group. Now, it's not impossible. Canada have good players, but they also have, like, next to no experience in, you know, big games like this outside of, like, Alfonso Davies did win a Champions League, but, you know, most of the people on the roster haven't or, like, anything close to that level of competition. So Canada's in tough, and I'm not going to deny that Canada's in tough. But they're a fast team, and they're a team that, when they play at their best, they are capable of being really good and really dominant. Now, obviously, you know, their level of competition hasn't been super high, but I don't think it's a crazy thing to assume that Canada, you know, couldn't get results in this group. And when you have players that are as good as Davies or David, you never know. 
Next is Morocco. Morocco is the other team that's probably going to be looked at as an underdog in this group. Morocco, they're a good team. And bringing Hakeem Ziyech back helps a lot. And so I think for Morocco, the expectation should be to find a way to second place in this group. I just don't know if that's going to happen for them. This team, what they really need is just, you know, a little bit... They need, like, another player that they can rely on consistently because I just don't think they have that go-to guy who's going to score them a ton of goals. Um, ZH is a great playmaker, right? They have some great defenders, but I just I think they need that that striker that's really going to score them a lot of goals. But obviously, again, Link Sung heroes always happen. Morocco is a very good defensive team. They could absolutely get results in this group. And then we have Croatia. Croatia, they were runners-up in 2018. Unfortunately for them, this team is a little different from the team that went to the final, uh, I guess, almost five years ago. So Mandzukic is gone. Rakitic is gone. And a couple other key players for them also gone. But Luka Modric, Luka Modric is still there. And they still have some other, you know, important players on that team. So don't count out Croatia. They're a savvy veteran team that knows how to get things done. They've been in all the biggest spots you could possibly imagine. And Luka Modric is one of my favorite players to watch in the entire world. He is an absolute magician. I love Luka Modric. Some of the passes he does for Real Madrid are absurd. And I mean that in a really good way. So... Croatia, not to be taken lightly, but, you know, maybe there's upset potential with this being a very new team compared to the team that went to the final in 2018. And then finally, Belgium. I mean, if there was ever a team that embodied the last dance mentality, it should be this team. Belgium, this is their last shot. Kevin De Bruyne, Romelu Lukaku... Hazard and Courtois and all their other really good players. When else are they going to get another good chance like this? And so far, you have to say the Belgium golden generation has disappointed. They went out in the quarterfinals at Euro 2016. They went out in the semifinals in the 2018 World Cup. And they went out in the quarterfinals again in Euro 2020. This team should be winning trophies, and this might be their last shot at it. So, last dance, Belgium. And they will have the expectations to win the whole thing as well. Next up, Group G. So, Group G, we have Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, Cameroon. Brazil come in as the odds-on favorite, like they tend to be in most of these tournaments. Brazil has a really good team. Top to bottom, they're probably the best team in this tournament. They have... Great forwards, they have great midfielders, they have great defenders, and they have the two best goalkeeping picks you could possibly ask for in Allison and Ederson. So there's really not sizable weaknesses with Brazil. However, there is one thing I should mention. Neymar. Neymar is Brazil's best player. At least, he should be their best player. Unfortunately, Neymar's been very injured over the last several seasons, and in the 2018 World Cup, he sucked. There's no way to sugarcoat that. He sucked. Neymar was not good in the 2018 World Cup. 
And I think you could argue, you know, Brazil didn't go as far as they should have in large part because Neymar wasn't as good as he should have been. But this is a clean slate. This is a new chance. Neymar was good in 2014. And so this is a chance for Neymar to really cement himself in Brazilian history. Now, there's a chance he passes Pelé for the all-time Brazil goals, although he would have played way more he would have played way more games than Pele ever did, so I don't know how legitimate you can compare the two. But if Neymar wants to be remembered as a Brazilian all-time great, he needs to play really well in the World Cup. And this would be the best chance for him to do it, because his team is loaded. Next, we have Serbia. Serbia, their team is a lot better than what it was last time around, because... Serbia, Brazil, and Switzerland were all in the same group in 2018, and Brazil and Switzerland got out of it. Serbia's team, in my opinion, was way overrated going into 2018. Not the case this time. They got some good players, and I think Serbia will be out for revenge because Switzerland beat them on a, like, a last-minute goal that they got from Shakiri. So, chance to rectify that and get themselves into the round of 16 instead of Switzerland. Switzerland will be hoping to keep things the same. The Swiss are coming off a very impressive European Championship performance. They beat the defending champ, or the world champions, I should say, France, in a penalty shootout, and they took Spain the distance. Switzerland's not a team to be taken lightly. Which then brings us to the last team, Cameroon. Cameroon are probably just happy to be there and that might be disrespectful Cameroon have a very rich history at this tournament but unfortunately for them I think their team is quite clearly the fourth best in this group now that doesn't mean you know again crazier things have happened but for Cameroon I think this tournament will be about growth and getting the team ready for maybe a legit run in 26 and finally we have group H Group H has Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, and South Korea. So, starting with Ghana. Ghana, I think, will at least fancy their chances at, you know, maybe pulling off a few upsets here. I don't think this group is as locked up as it should be, at least on paper, but I'll get to Portugal and Uruguay in a second. Ghana, you know, they were able to find their way through African qualifying. African qualifying, by the way, is ruthless, and I'm kind of glad they're getting more slots for the next tournament because the way they do it now is just like there's a lot of good teams that get left on the cutting board, essentially, in in African qualifying. So credit to Ghana for getting here. They'll obviously try and, you know, find a way to get some upsets. They'll be in tough, though. It won't be easy for them. And then we have Uruguay. Uruguay finished third in South American qualifying. But like I mentioned, we had Brazil, Argentina go undefeated, and then a whole bunch of teams squished in the middle. Uruguay was the best of the squished up teams. Again, I'm not saying they're a bad team. I'm just saying South American qualifying was really competitive, and I just don't think any other team was that great outside of Brazil and Argentina. So with Uruguay, they're kind of in a little bit of a transition period where they have their old veteran core. But they also have some young players coming through as well. And so they're trying to navigate that the best they can. And so this tournament might not be their tournament, but you never know. Sometimes a balance of youth and old can take you pretty far. And this group is very winnable for them because 
while I don't think they're as talented as Portugal, they're still capable of winning this group, and they have some good players, and they have a lot of guys who can score goals, which always helps. Speaking of Portugal, they, in my opinion, have one of the most talented rosters in the entire tournament, and I don't say that lightly. I think Portugal have a lot of good players, but they have a problem. It's called team chemistry and cohesion. This team doesn't win a lot of games because they don't exactly know how to work well together. A lot of their best players aren't super compatible with one another. Exhibit A being Cristiano Ronaldo and Bruno Fernandes. If Portugal find a way to make it all come together, they could win the whole thing. And if they don't, they could get knocked out in the group. So they're kind of a very low floor and high ceiling team. And then finally, South Korea. South Korea will go as far as Hyun Ming Sung and his face mask will take them. Not a lie, by the way. He will be wearing a mask because of an injury he suffered. So, yeah, that's pretty much all there is on South Korea. I don't think they're a tremendous team. I just, you know, they have one of the best players in the world. Sometimes that's all you need. So. And that concludes Group H. And that concludes my World Cup preview. Thank you for listening to this episode of The World Game, a World Cup podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I will be doing reaction episodes throughout the tournament. The music is from Pixabay. The whole thing gets going on November 20th, so make sure you subscribe and don't miss a moment of the 2022 World Cup.